The dumbest person is always the one who knows it all, said Malcolm Forbes, the late American entrepreneur. He must have had Joe Biden in mind. Our Pinocchio president has always operated under the arrogant illusion that he's the smartest person in the room. That's true only when the room is empty. It's well established that Biden is an inveterate fabulist, a serial plagiarist, and a chronic gaffe machine. These are givens. But it's Biden's inherent intellectual deficit compounded by a blinding sense of superiority that poses the greatest danger to our nation. Instead of competently meeting the challenges that inevitably confront any president, Biden has managed to mangle everything he touches. He's manufactured all on his own one errant disaster after another, border chaos, energy insufficiency, economic stagnation coupled with inflation, labor shortages, spiraling debt, pandemic misjudgments, racial disharmony in the spirit of uber-wokeness, and feckless action in the face of exploding crime. However, no amount of bungling compares to the catastrophic mishandling of his Afghanistan withdrawal, where he achieved a new and shameful level of incompetence and stupidity. Thirteen courageous members of the U.S. military died as a direct result of his blundering retreat. Their blood is on Biden's hands. Americans remain abandoned and stranded there, the equivalent of hostages to the whims of medieval theocratic murderers known as the Taliban. Our humiliating surrender left NATO allies fuming and our nation's enemies happily emboldened. But in the twisted, demented mind of Joe Biden, it was a wonderful success. In a televised address afterwards, he bragged about it. No honest person believed him. He was clueless. His combination of spin, rationalization, and blame someone else was incoherent to anyone with a functioning brain. But there it was in the teleprompter, so old Joe just read it. And then he took a nap. This invites the question, what will our demented president blow up next when he awakens from his slumber? What train wreck of toxic policies and rank ineptitude will he engineer as an encore? What excuses will he deploy to camouflage his blundering? The possibilities are both infinite and frightening. Americans who voted for Joe Biden were naive and gullible. They mistakenly thought they were getting a calming presence and a moderating force. They were played for suckers. What they got was a pedestrian intellect with delusions of grandeur and a propensity for mucking up whatever is in front of him. As Victor Davis Hanson observed... Biden is non-compass menace. He has no idea what he's doing. Against this backdrop and his disgraceful dereliction of duty in the Afghanistan debacle, it's tempting to embrace the demands of some Republicans that the president resign. He won't. To the extent that he's cognitively conscious, he has no sense of self-awareness. 
nor will he be impeached, since Democrats hold a majority in the U.S. House of Representatives, while the Senate is split with Vice President Kamala Harris casting any deciding vote. Yes, under Nancy Pelosi's tortured impeachment standard that was corruptly applied twice to President Trump, Biden certainly could be impeached. But two wrongs don't make a right. Bastardizing the U.S. Constitution That's never the answer. Invoking the 25th Amendment to evict Biden from the Oval Office, that's also improbable. Incompetence and senility, that's not the same thing as incapacity. Neither is buffoonery, not yet at least. Moreover, gaining the support of a majority of Biden's cabinet and his VP to remove him That's just unrealistic, despite his obvious unfitness for office. But not all is lost. The wheels of democracy in a constitutional republic provide a corrective course. The midterm elections are a little more than a year away. And Biden cannot run from his abysmal record of self-induced failures. If past his prologue, He will continue to screw up in spectacular fashion, and his approval ratings will nosedive even further than they already have over the last several weeks. Currently, it stands at 43%, according to the most recent Washington Post-ABC News poll. It's heading south fast. And his vice president's dreadful approval numbers don't help. Most Americans consider Harris to be utterly unqualified to serve as president. The concomitant effect of all of this will drag down Democrats who are up for re-election as independent voters gravitate toward Republican challengers. History shows that presidents with approval ratings below 60% suffer major losses in the House during the first midterm elections. Obama lost 63 seats in 2010 in a notorious thumping. Given Biden's calamitous eight months in office, he's poised to match that record or exceed it. The inexorable trouncing next November will hobble his presidency and solidify his fate as an enfeebled one-term president. In electoral politics, buyer's remorse can be both cruel and cleansing. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. By now, you've all heard me talk about MyPillow, and now Mike has done it again by introducing his new My Slippers. Mike has taken over two years to develop. It's designed to wear indoors, outdoors, all day long, made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue. Made with quality leather suede. For a limited time, Mike is offering 40% off his new My Slippers. The My Slippers are so comfortable, you'll want to get some for the whole family. I love mine. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Square and use promo code GREG, G-R-E-G-G. 
You will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream Bed Sheets, the MyPillow Mattress Topper, and MyPillow Towel Sets, or just call 1-800-544-8939 and use promo code GREGG. Welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. The dumpster fire known as the Biden presidency shows no signs of flaming out. In a way, that's a good thing. The more Joe Biden self-immolates, the closer he approaches to irrelevancy. Americans are turning against him in droves as his popularity tanks. The polling data proves it. His progressive agenda to remake America in the woke image of the squad is quickly losing its luster in Congress. Biden's insane plan to saddle future generations with trillions of dollars in destructive debt has hit a roadblock within his own party. Inflation is taking hold. The labor market is moribund. The pandemic rages on. Crime is spiraling. The border disaster shows no signs of abating. Our energy independence has morphed into foreign dependence. And divisions in America? They have grown more acute. Barack Obama and Robert Gates warned that Joe Biden would never be a competent or strong leader. They were not so much prescient. They simply knew the man well enough to recognize the obvious. Joe has the wrong stuff, not the right stuff. They realized that Biden couldn't think his way out of a paper sack, much less lead the nation in times of crises. They feared, most of all, that Joe would create a crisis through his bumbling incompetence. Tragically, Afghanistan proved them correct. In the annals of foreign policy blunders, Joe Biden has distinguished himself. He's the personification of weakness. And his hubris in pursuing an idiotic course of action for withdrawing troops before evacuating Americans and our Afghan allies was beyond senseless. Thirteen U.S. service men and women paid for Biden's stupidity with their own lives. Not that he is capable of understanding that. He managed to offend their loved ones when their bodies were brought home. It was a measure of the man who is callous and cold to the suffering of others. Joining me now to talk about what happened in Afghanistan is a man who knows that territory quite well. Ron Johnson served as U.S. ambassador to El Salvador, but before that, he spent more than 20 years as a senior operations officer with the CIA, leading sensitive operations during the wars in both Afghanistan and Iraq. He also served two decades in the U.S. Army with combat experience, retired as a Green Beret Colonel Ambassador. Many thanks for joining us. You wrote an excellent column, I must say, that our listeners can read on foxnews.com. It's entitled, Why Biden's Afghanistan Withdrawal Puts U.S. Citizens in Danger Here at Home. So let's begin with that. In danger, how? Well, first of all, thanks, Greg. It's uh, it's awfully good to be with you. I followed your work for some years, and I really respect 
the service you provide to the American people. So thank you for that. Thank you. You know, when I when I think about what we've just seen happening as a result of what I'm going to call the retreat from Afghanistan, uh, one word that rises to the top of my list is betrayal. And not just betrayal to those of us who served there or those who lost loved ones there or were badly wounded, and, and not even just to the Americans who we left behind, but a betrayal that impacts the entire free world our allies, our partners, even those that simply trade and do business with us are, are now reevaluating their relationship with the United States right now and our trustworthiness. For many years, the United States of America has set the example for the free world, and we've been a beacon of hope for millions of people all over the globe. That beacon just got a little dimmer, and we are a bit tarnished. What struck me in your column, among many points you make, is uh, for those who don't think we're now in danger because of, uh, you know, this precipitous Biden exit, withdrawal, surrender, retreat, whatever you want to call it, um, they should read reports that have been published by the Department of Homeland Security Office of Intelligence and the National Counterterrorism Center. What do they say? They're telling us that there is a very high likelihood that the Taliban and Al-Qaeda at a minimum, but probably other terrorist organizations, will join forces and that they are now better equipped to act on their uh, desires to attack the United States than they have been in the past. So I would say if you look at the Taliban in particular, uh, they're not this new, kinder, gentler, more... Uh, more willing to work with other nations and join the League of Nations Taliban that we're being told. They're the same Taliban that hung their citizens off light posts throughout the city, that chopped off limbs, that executed gays, sexually violated young men, and, and consistently treated women inhumanely. They're back. They're back. And they hate America more today than they did 20 years ago. The difference is that they're much more capable today of acting on their hate. And one of the reasons that they're capable is because of the $85 billion in weapons and equipment that we left behind when we withdrew. I want to talk about that a bit more. The troop withdrawal, as you point out, allowed 5,000 terrorist prisoners to suddenly be released. They then uh, you know, join the Taliban. They arm themselves with this U.S. military hardware that that we left behind. Uh, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of small arms, other equipments, as you point out, eighty-five billion in military vehicles, aircraft, weapons system. I mean, to me, Ambassador, that I mean, that's an unprecedented level of incompetence and stupidity. How can that be? Greg, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know how it could be. I, I can tell you that even a private in the lowest uh, in the lowest organization in the military, an infantry private knows that you do not leave weapons or materials behind that the enemy can then use against you. I, I can't imagine how this happened. Uh, I've seen Taliban in numerous uh, video footage on TV. I've seen Taliban running around. Afghanistan with weapons that are better than the one that my son was sent to Iraq with. 
And it's just, uh, it's frustrating and it's heartbreaking to see this. I don't know how it happened. You know, you wrote, and I want to quote you directly. In over 40 years in government service, I've never seen anything so poorly planned, badly timed, and horribly managed as the Afghan withdrawal. End of quote. So, Ambassador, is Joe Biden to blame? The top military brass upon whom he apparently, he claims he relied? Who's to blame? Well, Greg, I think... uh I think President Biden has said it himself. The buck stops here. He is the commander in chief and he is the leader of the United States of America and, in fact, the leader of the free world. Uh, he was the final decision maker on the timing for the withdrawal to occur. I do think that other organizations uh, inside the United States government, and I will mention the State Department, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Department of Defense, all shared in uh, giving advice and putting together the plans. But I think the timing was determined by the commander in chief. And I think that timing was one of the things that, uh, that created this, this big, uh, rush to get out and created this situation where we had no choice but to leave some of this equipment behind because they just couldn't load it up and get it out fast enough to meet this deadline. For what I believe uh, President Biden had hoped would be uh, good optics on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Yeah. And what we're seeing now is it will be optics on the anniversary of 9-11, but it will be bad optics. It's my understanding the Taliban will inaugurate its government on that day, and that uh, inauguration will be attended by Russia, Iran, and China. And it will be a celebration, not just inauguration, but a celebration. And another concern that I have is that it is in this celebration, it is demonstrating to the world that terrorism can work as a method. Terrorism can achieve victory even against a superpower like the United States. And that is certain to bring more recruits to existing terrorist organizations. It's, it will cause the rise of new terrorist organizations around the world. And it will likely inspire homeland-grown domestic terrorists here inside the United States. I, I think you're on to something. I think you're right about this. It does appear that Joe Biden's whole idea here was driven by the delusion that he'd be hailed a hero for getting us out of Afghanistan on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And of course, his glaring incompetence in carrying out the exit has has done just the opposite. But the point I want to make is this. What idiot makes an important foreign policy and national security decision based on an artificial date with the prospect of, oh, a big photo opera, splashy speech designed to elevate his popular stature? Well, the answer, it seems, is Joe Biden, isn't it? I'm, uh, I, I think, uh, as you said, I think you're onto something too, Greg. It, uh, it, it certainly is apparent that this was a decision that came at the, at the very top. And the timing, uh, if the timing could have been changed, it would have still been messy, but it would not have been the, the tremendous, uh, chaos and chaotic departure that we've seen. And I, I think I mentioned to you once before too that in every operation, 
you you always have your primary plan, your secondary plan, and if everything goes bad, you have a contingency plan. Right. You have to be willing to adjust because, as we often say, no plan survives first contact. You have to be able to adjust rapidly on your feet. And it seemed that in the case of the Afghan withdrawal that the president of the United States was not willing to to make any changes or to alter anything. He stuck to his guns. We got everyone out. We met the Taliban's deadline, and I think that's important, right. not our deadline to get all the American citizens out. We met the Taliban's deadline to get out by that date, and uh, it, it, it's just it's sickening and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. Abandoning Bagram Air Base seems on its face to be insane. I mean, doesn't basic logic dictate that you evacuate? All Americans first by utilizing this secured U.S. controlled base. And then the last thing you do, if you're intent on withdrawal, is you then leave the base. Isn't, isn't that common sense? Could, couldn't agree more, Greg. And I, I've spent many months on Bagram Air Base, and it, it provided a lot uh, better setback away from the crowds, something that we didn't have in Kabul and something that probably contributed to the loss of our, our 13 uh, service members when the, uh, when the suicide bombs went off. Uh, it, it was much more defensible than the airport in Kabul is. It was a military base that was, was much easier defended. And the other thing I would point out is uh, if we had done this correctly, we probably should have had more than just one air base, too. Afghanistan is a large country, and people forget that. Uh, it's not easy to get to Kabul if you're in some distant part of Afghanistan. And I, I just heard someone talking last night about trying to help families get out. And they said they were having to cross 15 or more Taliban checkpoints to get to the Exville airport. And they're having to pay every one of those checkpoints hundreds or thousands of dollars to get through. And your average Afghans can't do that. I mean, average people can't do that. Uh, we created this, and we created it by our insistence that we leave on a certain date from a certain airport. President Biden keeps insisting um, that we we are going to prevent terrorist attacks through our "quote unquote" over the horizon capability. So, look, you you were for two decades with the CIA, senior official there. What exactly is that, this over-the-horizon capability? And do you buy his rationalization? I mean, it's got a pale in comparison to ground intelligence, right? Well, the fact about our over-the-horizon capability is that it's nothing new. It's, it's being touted to the, to the U.S. people now as if it's something new. It's nothing new. It's been around for, for a long time. And we are capable of conducting over-the-horizon attacks. The point is, in, in a counter-terrorist role, something that requires precision targeting, uh, it, the capability is greatly reduced. It relies, uh, to a great extent, on ground intelligence. And that ground intelligence triggers other things. And then you can do your aerial reconnaissance, and you can acquire your target and you can strike your target from over the horizon. But we don't have any nearby bases to utilize now. So those drones that are flying into Afghanistan for over-the-horizon strikes 
are flying from eight hours away. And that reduces their payload and it reduces their time over the target. And the targeting is a serious problem. So, yeah, we could conduct strategic airstrikes from over the horizon and drop huge bombs, but that's not the way you fight terrorism. And I, I just think it's being mischaracterized uh, to the American people right now as a capability, and it, it is lacking in this role. It has proven to be lacking on several occasions. The other thing that's so terribly conspicuous, I think, to anyone is that, you know, Joe Biden continues to blame his predecessor, President Trump. And that's always his fallback excuse. And I've always found that vapid excuses is the currency of weak and feckless people. And in my judgment, Biden is certainly that. I suspect that, that President Trump would never have allowed these unfettered Taliban advances, not to mention the Taliban surrounding, you know, the Kabul airport and controlling the exit and fate of Americans. Do you agree? Look, Greg, you, you know, you and I both agree in that. That would have never happened. And I, and I think it's important to point out that during the Trump administration, when Trump dealt with the Taliban, he did so from a position of strength and authority. And after he talked to the Taliban, there was not a single U.S. casualty for the last year of the Trump administration, not one. And that was because they were they were respecting him and they feared what he might do. And that has ended with this administration. There is no fear or respect of what President Biden might do. All right. You um, after. More than 20 years in the U.S. military, the Army, you retired, as I mentioned, as a Green Beret colonel. So I want to ask you this next question from that vantage point and experience. And and this is a point that columnist Peggy Noonan uh, made, and I'll quote her. What happened with U.S. military leadership? Did they warn the president that his whole exit strategy was flawed, unrealistic? If he was warned and he rejected the advice, why didn't a general care enough to step down either in advance to stop the debacle or afterward to protest it? End of quote. What do you think of that? Well, I think it's a great question. It's a question that a lot of us are asking right now. I, I remember uh, I, I came up in a military that was after uh, the Vietnam War ended. And one of the questions that was asked frequently about Vietnam is why didn't more generals step down and resign when they were not given the proper tools to execute the war and win the war? And uh, I, I just think when you look at the accountability for for these decisions and the accountability for all the mistakes that led us to where we are today, that while it may start at the top, uh, you, you have to include several layers of senior advisors throughout several departments that were involved in giving the president advice. I can tell you as a colonel, and as you say in the Army, as a Green Beret colonel, I didn't advise the president, but I did advise my commanders. And at some point, those senior leaders do sit down and they provide advice that goes to the senior most decision maker. I, I don't know where the breakdown was, and I, I don't know how strongly uh, uh, the advisors felt about it, but there has to be accountability for this kind of failure. The other part of the equation 
is how President Biden totally miscalculated the Taliban. He, you know, he promised a safe and orderly withdrawal. It wasn't. He said every American would be evacuated. They haven't been. He said there's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy like Saigon, the end of, of Vietnam. Wrong again, Mr. Mm-hmm. President. But, but most of all, Biden said the Taliban did not pose an imminent threat of taking over Afghanistan. But of course, they did it in six days. And then his press secretary, Jen Psaki, said, I don't think anyone assessed that they would collapse as quickly as they did. Anyone in this room, anyone anywhere in the world, end of quote. But that's not true either, as we now know. The U.S. intelligence community warned Biden that the Afghan government could fall in a matter of days. So, Ambassador, is this a case where an arrogant know-it-all thought he knew better than the real experts? I I think it's a case where a a group of arrogant know-it-alls felt like they knew better, Uh, and, and perhaps naive, arrogant and naive. This is the same White House spokesperson that said, that Americans that are being held on aircraft that are not being permitted to depart Afghanistan are not hostages, that that is not the right terminology to use. Uh, they, They have become more and more untrustworthy in their comments about what's happening in Afghanistan. And I think they're they're more interested in diverting the attention away from Afghanistan right now because they realize that the optics are not what they had hoped they would be, but the optics are actually bad for the administration. Uh, I don't know where this leads us, but there are Americans still inside the country, as you mentioned, that are still trying to get out. And there are American private citizens that are risking their lives and spending their own money to try and get those people out. And it is evident that the Taliban will continue to consolidate its power and continue to rein in more and more control over those aircraft and require money, U.S. dollars, money for those aircraft to depart. Right. And we know that Biden knew that, you know, the Taliban advance would cause the collapse of the Afghan government and the takeover by the Taliban of Afghanistan, because there is a July 23rd telephone call between Biden and Afghan President Ghani. Reuters has published a leaked transcript verbatim of Biden's call with Ghani. And Biden tells Ghani that he he needs to pretend that things are going well in the fight against the Taliban, quote, whether it's true or not. That's what Biden said. And then he went on to say, there's a need to project a different picture. In other words, a different picture than reality and the truth. So let's lie to everyone. Uh, Are are you convinced that Americans have been lied to? I am, Greg. I'm also convinced that Americans are still being lied to. And I think there's no better evidence than one that says we should, whether true or not, project a different picture. That is amazing. And I'm glad that it came out from Reuters and not from, not from uh, 
one one of the media outlets that uh, is traditionally attacking the the administration. It came out from someone that that is uh, clearly unbiased on this topic. Uh, it, it's just amazing to me, and it and it continues. Yeah. Um, as we wind this down, really, my last question is: you know, Senator Lindsey Graham has recently remarked that America will end up back in Afghanistan one way or the other. And of course, the media instantly became apoplectic. But Ambassador, if there is another terrorist attack planned by a terrorist organization in Afghanistan, might Senator Graham be right? Greg, I think Senator Graham is right. And there's been several other people that have made that same comment. It's only a matter of time uh, before the United States has to go back. I, I don't know in what capacity uh, we might go back into Afghanistan, but uh, the fact that we departed, that we withdrew, does not end this 20-year war. There's another side that gets a vote in when this war ends, and that side has not ended this war. They still hate us. They still want to attack us. They still have aspirations of conquering the United States and changing the world and establishing a caliphate uh, there across Southeast Asia and uh, in the Middle East. It's, it's not over. We will likely be back, and it will likely be costly when we do. Former Ambassador Ron Johnson, thanks for joining me. We appreciate your observations, your insights. Hope you join us again. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening.